0: So we are, this is actually going to be our last uh, talk on this series and the study that we've been doing called Sent Together. Uh, where we've been learning how it is that Jesus calls us to follow him in everything that we do and how we follow him uh, as a group together because we believe that Jesus didn't just call us all to enjoy his grace and his mercy and then randomly put us here in the city, but he actually called us all together and then is sending us into the city for a purpose that is bigger than anything we could give our lives to. Uh, But we get to give our lives to that. One of the fundamental things, and this is what we'll talk about, the the study continues in our missional communities and DNA groups for the next several weeks, uh, is we're gonna be talking about the mission of God and how we functionally, practically live that out. Uh, As a church, uh, we are made up of missional communities. That's a big news flash, I know. Uh, But what that means is a missional community is a group of people of 8 or 12 or 14 or sometimes 20 souls or 30 souls. Sometimes they get big. But they're a group of people who are doing just that, who said, I want to give my life to learning how to follow Jesus in such a way that Jesus is made known to the world around me. Uh, That that in our dedication and our commitment to patterning our whole lives after the way of the one who saved the world, uh, we will somehow uh, see our communities, our neighborhoods, our streets, our workplaces transformed by the good news that Jesus died and rose again. That's why uh, we structure our whole selves as a church around missional communities, because we believe that everyone who follows Jesus wasn't made to do it alone. You weren't made to do it uh, in isolation, but to do that following of Jesus with others. Uh, that the way of Jesus is actually core uh, and towards relationship with one another, not just with God. We also live out missional communities because we believe Jesus is the actual center of all good, authentic, beautiful community. Uh, And we're all following him in his purposes and on his mission to reconcile and restore all things. Uh, We also believe as a church that we participate in God's mission when we have the encouragement and the equipping uh, and the joining with other people. Uh, We believe that everyone is essential. Uh, Not that everyone can play a part or that everyone can have something to do within the community and within God's mission, but we actually believe that every single person, every woman, man, and child in this church is essential to us displaying the glory of God to the world around us. That your life, your circumstances, your gifts, your passions, all of your personality, it's essential for us uh, to be who we were called to be in this city. Uh, And we also believe that this message and this reality of Jesus changes everything. These are all the things that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks. And today we're just going to be learning about how the mission, that mission of Jesus, his purpose, uh, is more than we could have ever bargained for. Uh, I, you know, whenever I accepted and believed for the first time in Jesus, I didn't know that I was signing up for a mission beyond uh, anything that I could fathom, but I'm so thankful that I did. Uh, this message, the message of Jesus, is the best thing that you could give your life to. Not just believe, but dedicate your whole life to seeing uh, believed in other people, uh, it's the best that you could uh, hope for. It's the greatest purpose you could ever give your life to. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 14 to 21 today. Uh, and if this is your church, you know, or if you're just here for candy, uh, there's no shame in that. I'm so glad you're here because this is really the greatest stuff to talk about in all of life. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 21, and you'll be able to follow along as well on the, on the screen. It says this. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is God's word. Uh, the first thing that I notice here uh, is that Jesus's mission or his purpose and his and his thing, uh, his life, uh, offers the greatest purpose for our lives. Uh, he says in verse fourteen, uh, he says, "For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all Died. And he's referring to this big purpose that the rest of the scriptures simply describe as the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That God's love first compelled him to enter into a world of chaos, of sin, of brokenness, of shame, of abuse, and evil. That God, being love himself, was so motivated that, that he didn't want to turn his face away from the chaos of this world, but decided to enter into it physically, emotionally, spiritually coming into this world, a world that was confused, a world that was distant uh, from the abundant life, the abundant full life that God offers. And not only did Jesus enter into this world and speak of a better way, like that would be really nice. It's nice when people come into the world and say, hey, there's a better way to live. Like we love, those are the ones that have those Instagram accounts, they get the most followers, right? Because they're talking about, hey, this is a better way to live. But Jesus didn't just do that. He didn't tell of a better way. He actually came and he healed and he pushed back against darkness and evil. But it wasn't just that, that he had actions that were pretty profound and impactful that left people saying, I'm in awe, or I've never seen anything like this, or who is this man? But Jesus didn't just do that, but he died for the darkness that he was pushing away. He died for the abuse, he died for the neglect, he followed sin and evil to its ultimate conclusion, which is death. The antithesis of life, right? He died for evil, for sin, for darkness. That one died for all. That's what Paul says here in verse 14. He took it all on himself in hope of a world reconciled. A world no longer distant from God, a world no longer wondering how to make a way in this world, but he died to uh, bring about a reconciliation of all that it's broken. But in his death, it wasn't over. Uh, In all of sin and evil, what's right behind it always is death a death inside, a death outside. And so when Jesus is placed in the grave, we might think, okay, that's the ultimate conclusion of all of this, that Jesus somehow took on all sin and death and evil, and it's just sort of ended in a tomb, a a dead-end street cave that has a big rock rolled in front of it. There it is, gone. But that wasn't the the hope of of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He actually destroys death. Uh, evil and sin is no longer followed by death. It's followed by a victorious king who breaks chains, who walks in life, and who behind him is all things made whole and restored and beautiful and wonderful again. Sin and death is vanquished. Death no longer follows. His power of a life restored is what follows from now on and forevermore. This is good stuff, right? Right? Jesus isn't just about doing it though for a few. He wasn't he wasn't just about oh like if I could do this for 12 dudes in the middle east that would be just so fantastic. Jesus's hope and his orientation for his whole being, from eternity past into eternity future, never ending, God's hope has always been for all things, all people, all souls, all humans to be restored and reconciled and exist in the blessing of God with us. That's his hope forever. That's his mission. It's not just for a few, he sets his sights on the whole. And that is his unfolding reality, story, it's his purpose, it's his mission. It's pretty great we have mission statements in all organizations, you can't read a leadership book without saying, hey, create a mission statement, a mission statement, right? It's pretty profound, some of us have mission statements that say we wanna provide the best customer service that has ever been known to man, it's pretty great. Or we want to provide an immersive experience, like whatever Mark Zuckerberg was talking about this week. It's like, okay, man, that's a cool vision of the world. Uh, sounds, sounds a lot like, you know, the sci-fi movies that horrify us. Uh, he wants to create the matrix for us. That's a pretty big mission statement. Jesus' mission statement is so simple. It's the reconciliation of all people to God. And so he says here, Paul, he says, having been convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for him who was raised again. Paul is saying this is the greatest purpose, greatest mission that doesn't just exist, but that could exist for you. And if you're not convinced and this is a great word, convinced. It's like to know in your head. It's not some whimsical, like, I just have this gut feeling, you know, that this conspiracy happened. It's, it's the word of a rational, intellectual, uh, earnest putting our lives in the face of truth and saying, that's right. And so if you are convinced, you're accepting a life to that purpose. And if you're not, please be reconciled to God today. Receive his love, accept his life, accept a life in which darkness and evil doesn't follow anymore, but just abundant life. And if you are convinced, that means that someone came along in your life at some point and interrupted it. You were just going on, having a good time, wanting to live out the vision of the greatest customer service known to man. And then, and then someone came in, like Paul, compelled by the same love that God has for us. That love is in them. They're compelled by it. And they came and they said, look, I love you too much for you not to know about the greatest thing ever. And someone spoke that into your life because they loved you. And if you're someone who doesn't believe in these things, yet you have people all the time who are telling you about Jesus... It's not because they want some sort of like track record in the back, like, you know, in one of these rooms, we have a secret scoreboard of who convinced the most people, but it's because they love you deeply. I think one of the greatest expressions of love that anyone can have is to tell someone the truth, and the truth that they believe and that they're convinced of. And so if you don't believe, that's why people are doing that to you. Uh, but I want to pause first because I think we, we, I don't know. I don't think about this often. And just sort of declare here together, and we can all speak out loud, uh, and answer this question. Who did God use to interrupt your life? I'd love for us to just name their names and how you were related to them. Who is it that came and told you, compelled by love, and said, hey, this, this purpose, this mission, this is what God is actually doing in the world. Uh, so you guys feel free to, to name people. You can name multiple people if you want and how, you, how they related to you. Go for it, Allie. It was the first time I walked into the Forgents house. Mm, the Forgents, Tripp and Jess. Yeah, and, and all the girls were equally part of Aw, there's three of them. <laughs> You're missing the fourth. That's lovely, yes. Tripp and Jess. Uh, Ellie, Victoria, Noelle, Jocelyn. That's so beautiful. Who else? Uh, my aunt, she's my mom's youngest sister, but she was like the only one in the whole family who said that she so, would like to be. Mm. And she was one the one that. That's so great. Your aunt, Ellie told you about, yeah, Katie. Yeah, well, when I was in college, Robin and was um, That's so beautiful. Robin, wearing that hoodie. <laughs> she looked the She looked the exact same. <laughs> and and you were just roommates, yeah? Or yeah. friends? So, well, well, we weren't roommates yet. Uh We were, like, becoming good friends. And she was the one who, like, took me to church. And, like, just talked to me. And, and, and mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Praise God. Yeah, Nate. That's sweet. Hope's dad. Loved you so much. Youth pastor. I love it. Yeah. My uh, my mom and dad. That's so awesome. What are their names? Tom and Nancy? Tom and Nancy. Edwards. Edwards related to Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, Ashley. Um, my older sister, Sarah, a uh, good friend Amber. And then, actually, I was reading a Christian novel. So, my parents were Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A sister, a friend, a novelist. That's, that's you know, right to my soul, obviously. Yeah. yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Patrick and Daniel, your brothers. It's so good. My friends, Ellen and Charles. Ellen and Charles. My wife, Danielle. That's so beautiful. Good news. They loved you. Go, Andrew. My son, Jack Feistel. Your son, Jack Feistel. Mm. That's good. Mm. I love it, Patsy Carroll. That's a good name, written in the book of life, bringing yours into it too. A uh, second grade teacher, uh, is Eunice Harris. The mm. first person that had me memorize scripture. Mm. And like, I I can do it. I'm just gave me love for scripture. Mm. That's so beautiful. A second grade teacher. I think it's the the truth of a whole cloud of of witnesses. You know, if you can imagine uh, running a race and a whole bunch of people watching what's happening, that there's a whole grandstand of people uh, in our lives who are interrupting it, telling us and pointing us to who Jesus is. Uh, And they did it because they were compelled by love uh, and that they believed that Jesus's purpose was their purpose in life that his, his mission was not just a vision for your life or a vision statement or a purpose that you can dabble in, but the, a belief, deep conviction, that, that what he is doing in the world to reconcile all things was their whole purpose. And that's ho- your whole purpose too. Uh, there was an astronaut, Alan Shepard. Uh, I really like space, not as much as some of you guys. And uh, Alan Shepard was the first American man to get put up in the top uh, of this rocket. He was part of the Mercury Seven. He was selected from the best test pilots in all of America uh, to go uh, and went through all of these gruesome tests to see if he qualified. And then he was brought uh, into that team. There were just a few astronauts vying for that that job of being attached to that huge, like rocket and flung into space. Uh, and, and it required a ton of sort of political negotiation. There was like photos, like who looks the best. And he somehow dedicating three years of his life was able to be placed as the first person in that rocket that was going to go up into space. Uh, pretty, I, I think it's pretty, you know, amazing that we did that, uh, you know, in the 50s and the 60s. And now we've got billionaires trying to do it. But Uh, we did it as Americans, and Alan Shepard was the one at the top. And when he was waiting for the launch, he famously said, you know, let's light this candle, right? I love that. It's like, oh, so much bravado, (laughs) so much courage. Uh, I am going on an airplane in two days, and I'm I'm like trying to build myself up the courage (laughs) to get on a Delta flight, but he's like, let's light this candle, Uh, And back home, whenever he, you know, splashed back down and uh, he was, you know, ushered into these huge parades in New York City, he got to talk to the president, JFK, and he publicly shared just about these amazing views uh, of all that made the world worth it. Like the whole whole purpose that he had dedicated his life to was all kind of worth it because he saw and he got a perspective of the world that he had never gotten before. The reality was, though, that uh, the shade, you know, to block them from, you know, burning their eyes, was stuck, and what he saw was really just a gray, blurry world. And what also is true is that the whole flight took 15 minutes, and he barely got up there and kissed space, and then came down and saw really hardly nothing. 15 minutes, that's it. But he had given so much, so much sacrifice for that. That was his purpose. It's even what he's known for. You know, he's buried as like first American in space. I wonder though, uh, is that how we dedicate our lives to things? And is it worth it, really? Uh, my, my perspective is this. Let, let us not settle for 15 minutes of fake glory when you can have an eternity of significant worship. Uh, But I see us settling for 15 minutes of fleeting significance. The things that we get our names on, the things that we get to be proud of, they're awesome, they're wonderful, but they are not the ultimate. We settle for those fleeting significant things when we ourselves could dedicate our whole lives to the kingdom of Jesus. That does not fade, that does not disappear, that all the names that you described are there glorifying God alongside you and a whole host of other people. Or we can have our names on plaques for doing something significant for a moment that disappears. So let's give our lives to the greatest message that one died for all. The other thing that I see here is that Jesus's mission offers the greatest sort of audience or person to live for. In verse 15, he says, uh, you know, that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I think we all have people that we're kind of playing for. Uh, We have an audience, uh, invisible or visible. You know, maybe it's just your spouse, maybe it's just your kids, uh, maybe it's a whole bunch of people you've never even met, you know, that, that big daunting they and them out there. They're people that you're trying to impress, they're people that you're striving to gain their approval from, uh, they're, they're people you're trying to prove wrong. I mean, that, that's my cloud is a bunch of people that I just wanna prove wrong, you know? I had dyslexia as a kid, now I can read and write books. Booyah! right? And so, a question is Who do you hope notices you? Uh, What are you pouring yourself into, and who is that actually for? Uh, In the middle of the the pandemic, I guess we're still in it, I don't know, it's so confusing now. (laughs) But about a year ago, there was this uh, renowned cellist, Jacob Shaw, he's British. and they didn't have anybody to play for, right? He's a cellist, he was uh, in this school in just a village south of Copenhagen, and he and these other well-renowned cellists got together. They spent countless hours. He had mastered this instrument that he used to travel the world playing for people. He had raw talent, he had incredible skills, right? Uh, And so during the pandemic, what he decided to do was to play for animals. Uh, We got the picture of it. This is them. That's him. He's the blonde bearded man. And what they did is they decided, hey, let's organize concerts for cows. And you can read about it, New York Times, they're the first people who wrote an article and then, you know, CNN and everybody else took video footage of it. But this is from the New York Times photographer. One of the things that they said was, it's actually really nice playing for cows. Another one said, we saw it in rehearsal, they really do come to you. <laughs> these cellists uh, took all of that stuff that they had that developed over years, you know, countless hours learning how to play, countless hours even rehearsing, doing these really difficult things. One of the things that another uh, person said is, but when we started to play this composer, they all walked away. Which then I think you have to begin to ask questions of what am I doing with my life <laughs> when even the cows <laughs> abandon me after I've played for a little bit. But how often do we dedicate our whole lives for an audience like that, that might, we might gain their attention for a second. And we've given all of our skills, all of our sacrifice so that they can notice and that they can see. But then after a while, they just kind of walk away. And I know some of the invisible audiences that you have are your children and your parents and your spouses, so I'm not telling you that this, but we're really giving our lives to people who are cows, you know, like, that don't care or are not the greatest audience you could have. Good. It's good to, like, work to, you know, get your boss to like you. I think that's good. We can't live in a world where we all hate our bosses and they hate us. I think it's good for us to create music and art that the audience adores and does something deep in their souls. I think it's great to build systems and programs that really help businesses and all of that. But the greatest audience you could be giving your life to is fundamentally Jesus and Jesus alone. Why? Because he's the one who died and raised you again. There is no greater. And Jesus is not like the cows. Who gets bored and walks away, or you play some notes that he doesn't really like. Jesus is the one who says, I, from eternity past, decided that I would bring you into the place of my dwelling so that I could gaze on you and and, and cheer for you and see you saved and adorned in grace. That's the audience that we get to play for. Paul says, I no longer live for myself. But for him who died, your whole life, if you're convinced of Jesus, is for Jesus. He alone is worthy of it. No one else is worthy except the one who broke the chains, except for the one who walks you into life. The third thing I see is that Jesus' mission offers the greatest vision for our world, uh, that all things reconcile. This is the greatest vision that could ever be cast. Uh, And it is, it's for all things reconciled, all things that are far away from God, all things distant from God, brought close, intimately close. It's a vision of our world that has an origin uh, that Paul describes in Athens, that we were all made for God, and that all things in earth were made to point us to God, that we might grope and grasp and try to find him, and he makes himself known to us. That's his vision. Uh, There are many visions for the world today. Uh, There's a vision for a non-drought world where we have all the water that we need and the lakes and the rivers are full of water, no more drought. There's a vision for a non-sick world where nobody is sick, where nobody has to worry, where no one has to go to the hospital, where sickness falls away. There's a vision of the world that's that's non-harmful, non-bullied, non-cruel, non-abusive. A vision that says maybe we can just get all that stuff out. There's a vision for a non-racist world where all of that evil doesn't exist anymore. But see, Jesus's vision is for the God who created the universe to dwell among us, to have a life of joy and strength and worship and peace with God. You can't get a bigger vision than that. See, his vision is not just about the absence of bad things, but it's for the abundance of joyful realities. His vision is for evil dealt with, certainly, but for a thriving, restored humanity. It's not just we have a world that has visions of the absence of bad, but Jesus has a vision for the presence, the abundance of good. That's when he says, I came for life and life abundant. That's what his vision is. So not only does the mission change your personal purpose in life, it fundamentally alters the scope of what you hope for for the entire world. What you hope to give your life to, what you long to see happen in this world. And he says that you're now an ambassador. These are great, fantastic verses. Verse 17, anyone who's in Christ, the new creation has already come. The old is gone, the new is here. You're living in a new reality. You're living in the vision and the purpose of God today. Not something you're waiting for. Something that is new already in you. He goes on to say all these wonderful things about how God, who reconciled us to him through Christ, gave us now this ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. That he's given it to us. This beautiful, precious, fantastic message. He's given it to us. Not just to steward in a cave. You know, like, uh, we're the people who protect. Like in Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, the guy who just stewards the grail, right? Right? I think that's how we live out this purpose. But we've actually been given a purpose to steward the message and to be messengers. And it says that God is making his appeal to the world through us. That means that the people that he's put in your life, the children, the spouses, the brothers, the sisters, the coworkers, the neighbors, all of those people, he placed in your life so that he could make his appeal through you, so that God can give a a message, a reality check, a truth, a grace to them through you. You become his mouthpiece. What an incredible vision you have for your life. I mean, I wish we could put that in all the businesses and all the orgs, to be God's mouthpiece of grace. Uh, Lastly, just the, the, this passage continues, and, and it gets chopped off a lot in uh, you know, missional books and whatnot, so I'm going to read it because I don't think it should get chopped off. There was just some guy who was separating the chapters in a wagon one day and decided to make chapter 6 start two verses too soon. And I'm the authority on that. Uh, 6 verse 1, he says, and this is after all that he said, he says, as God's co-workers... I mean what a thing. He says, we urge you to receive that to not receive God's grace in vain. And what he means there is to receive it and to keep it and to hide it. He says, for he says, and this is from Isaiah, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And then Paul says this, this is what it means. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. That now, this is the season. This is the era, this is the epoch, this is the moment in life and history where salvation, where God is making his appeal to all humans to be reconciled to him. To know up close his life, his power, his resurrection. And Paul says, don't receive that goodness in vain and squander it. Because this is the time. There is no greater moment. This is the day. This is the life. We get to live in it. And so I ask one last rhetor- or real question, not rhetorical. If all of this is true, how would it change your life? Hard question. And as you answer, we will hold you to it. Now, if this is true, how, how could it change your life? What do you all think? Hard. It's just a reminder that every interaction is holy. Yeah, every interaction is holy. Yeah. Yeah so beautiful. I think y'all, uh, like, so much more, like, prayerful and, like, reliant on the Spirit of God mm. than my own abilities or my own gifting mm. realizing in the need of complete inner mm. His power to be working in His truth. Yeah, that's so good. Because none of the people we named are that special. I mean, I know Robin's really special, and you guys are really great. But we're not in, like the pantheon of the greatest speakers, the most engaged apologetics people, right? That's a, that's a powerful thing, that we were all transformed by people who just interrupted our lives, who loved us, and the power of the Spirit working through them. Yeah, go for it, Miss Ellen. And we need to remember that God has given believers grace. yeah. Mm. We do daily so i think about how i need to extend grace more mm and uh, i talked about pastor about it when I'm trying to witness to family members and friends and he said love them mm love them right and that's i was reading what god said love me and love others yeah the greatest commandment so trying to give a little more grace since i'm receiving it <laughs> I love that. Since I'm receiving grace, maybe I should give it. Since I'm receiving love, maybe I can be motivated by love. That's so good. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Jared. Uh, it means that there's no end the game we have in mind that we're loving someone. We're mm. not loving them to get to a certain point where we can make a sales pitch, but we're loving them as the human cause. Yeah. Mm. Mm. that's so good yeah that there is no end game yeah there is no end to the movie franchise yeah yeah I think just like the gift it is just to be present with people like God is present with us and like not to underestimate that just being there, being around being and being consistent with other people in their lives Right. Mm. that's so good yeah to be faithful and to be there and to be around Mm. that's so good that gives me hope even as you know have a bunch of people in your house and all that and you're like oh like this isn't about tomorrow this is about life and eternity yeah go for it Ashley Mm. But also, like, each day holding, like, my agenda loosely of, like, what I want to accomplish and maybe not focusing so much on what to accomplish, it's just being available. Mm. I love that. Yeah. We hold our own agendas and, and visions for life loosely. Yeah. <laughs> I try to think about agape love, mm. which is unconditional. Yeah, instead of layo love, which is revelry love, which is conditional. Mm, and so, as and, and, and you also said, I'm <laughs> not think about what I'm going to love, I give. Yeah, you know, um, try to be more agape about mm-hmm. it without the expectation of something that... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is, absolutely. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's that's also good and I think that's a go for it. Yeah. So that sense of, like, I don't know, both urgency and this, um, I'm going to say humility, but I don't think I'm always humble about it. <laughs> you know, as soon as you say you're humble, it's okay, over. So yeah. you know, it's like, I, that thing that I don't want to keep it to myself. Like, I'm not special. Yeah. You know, like, this is for, this is available
1: mm. for every Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to wrap this up just because, you know, candy time. But my last thing to say is that if we're going to be about these things, the the mission, right, of God, then let's be about them. Like if we're going to say oh, the mission is so good, then let's actually be about the mission of God. Let's give ourselves to this message. Let's organize ourselves for his purpose. Uh, Let's structure all of our lives for the sake of being ambassadors and making an appeal to the world, being ministers of reconciliation. You know, let's shift our budgets. Let's shift our time. Let's shift whatever it needs because we've surrendered it to Jesus. And as a church, uh, we're committed to equipping you to live within Jesus's mission. Like that's that's a deep commitment that we have. Deeper than, you know, all of the other, you know, than these chairs and how they're arranged, right? A deep, profound commitment. Uh, And that we're gonna keep talking practically about how do we live this? How do we become the type of people that do all of the things that you guys just shared? Um, How do we use our gifts How can we live in this day of salvation as ambassadors? Uh, The next several weeks in the missional communities, as I said before, you're going to be discussing both strategically how, how do you live a life like that, but then also spiritually, how do you orient your heart towards God and towards others uh, functionally to move faithfully towards uh, his purpose in our life, both as individuals and as a group. So that's what you can expect for the next several weeks. Uh, Because those missional communities, as I started this by saying, that's the primary environment where we get to learn and we get to talk, uh, where we get to practice how all of this works out in the real earthiness of life, not just in the, you know, ethereal thinking of life. Uh, And this is such a noble task where we get together uh, and we get to see Jesus change our city through us, through a person, one at a time. Like how fantastic is that? Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll go, and we'll take communion. And this morning, I just want you to take in this celebration that the, that He died for all. He rose again for all, and now we get to live for Him. So that's what I want you to think about as you take uh, with the people you came with uh, or your family or friends. Jesus, I thank you for this incredible uh, truth that I get to talk about and that we get to hear about um, Jesus, I do pray that we would be a church that doesn't just talk about them, but that we would be about it, that we would be about the mission. Uh, Help us discern by your Spirit uh, the ways in which we can give up our own agendas, the ways in which we can be faithful, the ways we can love people for the long haul without an in-game insight, uh, how we can be faithful witnesses of your grace and mercy, even as we uh, become your mouthpieces in this city. Uh, Thank you so much, Jesus, for all that you have done and that all that you're going to do and that we get a front front row seat to it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.